Welcome to Our Next Existence by Katie and the Chorus. I'm Katie, former technology strategist turned reluctant spiritual medium, and I channel messages from the Chorus, a group of beings just beyond our sensory perceptions who are loving, expansive, and who greatly enjoy sharing their perspective of us. Join us each week as we share and discuss their ideas about humanity's existence, purpose, and future. Concepts you can draw from to accelerate your path, expand your perceptions, and ultimately step into the flow of the universe and your life. Have you ever had a reaction to somebody else suggesting, proposing even, how something will go for you? And almost without thinking about it, it's so instinctual. Something inside you responds, don't tell me what to do. (laughs) Where does it even come from? I've been thinking about the power of precedent in our reality and how much it actually is dependent upon our concept of time. A neighbor of mine recently sold her house And she might even be listening to this. (laughs) And she said, oh, so we we sold our house for this much. So if you guys sell soon, you'll probably be able to get, you know, at least that much too. Something inside of me was like, or maybe we'll do something else. (laughs) It wasn't even logical. I watched it happen inside of myself. This like, don't tell me what I could do when I sell my house. Like, where does it come from? It's like this inner, this inner seven-year-old comes out like fierce independence of like, my life is my own. And all she did was make a passing remark <laughs> about how they had sold their house. But something inside of me responded. And then fast forward three or four weeks and the market has just been bananas. Nobody knows what's happening. Rates are fluctuating. Demand is all over the map. And the realtor sits down with us and says, well, you have this comp, you have this other house that's sold nearby. So you'll probably be able to get at least this much. And I thought, oh, phew, thank goodness we have her comparison. (laughs) So in a matter of four weeks, I went from resisting the precedent to feeling gratitude for the precedent. What the heck is that about? I've been talking to the chorus lately about seemingly impossible things. And how interesting it is that in our group consensus, we all agreed as a group to have this experience of limitation and in many ways kept ourselves tied into that commitment. The ways in which we interact and how that reinforces our experience of limitation is a topic that we're just starting to get into. But something that's equally fascinating and awakening is that we're leaving the game intact, which means... Now, as we are expanding through this experience, those same commitments, those same comparisons, if you will, can also be springboards 
into our further expansion, precedent being one of them. If someone in our belief system complex does the impossible, that thing is now possible for all other players who are participating in those beliefs. Incredible, isn't it? What a shortcut. We could walk around all day collecting precedents of things that we want to achieve. And in no time, we would have a construct of beliefs that would tell us that those things are completely possible. So why didn't it work like this before? What is that voice within us that sees a potential comparison, a potential precedent that might unlock something inside of us and resists it? There are many partitions within us. There are many barriers and boundaries that we put there for this experience of seeming disconnection of seeming incompleteness, mystery, unknown, finiteness, and insufficiency. And today the chorus makes a fascinating first foray into this new field of topics, notably starting with the things that are largely to us unseen. It's okay to collect precedents, to remind yourself how possible the things are that you want. And it's also okay to resist them. Because somewhere, some part of you is reconnecting to all the other parts of you and knows that you actually defy all precedents, all things that have ever come before on a linear timeline. This moment is new and full of infinite possibility. As are you. In the first part of the episode, we'll hear directly from the chorus themselves, and then afterwards we will discuss. Talk to you soon. Humanity's great journey is an epic tale. One that has many twists and turns, eras, civilizations, empires, relationships, contacts, revolutions, and much more. If we were to describe to you your history from your current vantage points, we would imagine that most humans would care to know most about the things that happened on the five senses frequencies. This is logical for you are coming from a conscious perspective in the five senses themselves. Therefore, especially in abiding by the rules of the game, you look for the things that are pertinent to these belief systems to the pitch for survival that you have enjoyed and created 
all these many years. However, there is also much of your history and your story that did not take place on these five senses frequencies. This may come as a surprise because up until now we have very much focused our conversation on these frequencies alone. We have done so, beloved ones, because that is the point, that is the perspective from which your consciousness is perceiving this conversation. It is not because you are incapable of being on other wavelengths. You have chosen to experience an existence of limitation from this perspective. As you well know, you are infinite, and it is these beliefs that create this experience, and it is your choice of resonance with these frequencies that created those beliefs. Therefore, when you choose to expand beyond these frequencies, you may do so. And we would suggest that there are times in your history when you have also existed on broader frequencies than this. So, we have a bit of a conundrum, for there is much in your history that has happened on wavelengths beyond, strictly speaking, the wavelengths of the five senses reality, and yet you are accessing this conversation from the perspective of the five senses consciousness. Therefore, how are we to explain more of what you are and have done and have experienced here that is beyond what you are currently aware of right now. Allow us to explain an idea that we think will help very much in ascertaining how to reach for something that is on frequencies that you are just expanding towards. There is so much ahead of you, beloved ones, more than we could take time to describe with your words in this limited version of consciousness. And yet, even so, awakening is a miracle. For even here, there are concepts, there are things that you have created that allow you to see the potential of the universe, the possibility of more. One such concept is your concept of electricity. Perhaps this may seem underwhelming at the start, but trust us, in the age of the discovery of electricity, so recent to your current period of time, it seemed to be beyond imagining that there could be a force, an invisible force in your immediate vicinity that could be so powerful and yet so difficult to detect and also, the idea that it could be harnessed and utilized was one that seemed perhaps just out of reach, until it wasn't, until suddenly it made perfect sense, until suddenly things started to fall into place to understand something that was otherwise invisible to you. In many ways, this opened the aperture to other invisible forces that could be depended upon, that could be observed, that could be interacted with. In some ways, this was a very new discovery for your kind. 
In other ways, you could consider it a return to the idea of things that were and have been beyond the perception of your five senses. What exists in the invisible world around you? You know at some points in your days that it's there. You understand invisible forces like gravity or like the sense of attraction between two people. There are things that affect you that you may not be able to hold in your hands, and yet you believe in them, you experience them, you talk about them. Thus, perhaps we can say this. There are invisible places on your earth plane. Places of great importance to your history. As a collective, you are just arriving to the moments in which you will be able to detect the existence of such places. Though at first you may not be able to harness them, to interact with them, it is just a beginning, and those days will come. This is possible, dear ones, because you have begun to expand into places of understanding more of the unseen, more of yourselves, more of what you have created here. And in so doing, you reach further beyond what had previously been your limitation and begin to come into contact with more. And just like electricity, you may think that these invisible places seem to have a behavior all their own, one that is perhaps at first enigmatic and challenging, to say the least. But similar to how you have grown in your understandings of electricity, you will grow in your understandings of this history and these places. And more importantly, what it all means to you. You, the beings, the people, the civilization that has created the experience of all of the invisible. We love you infinitely. And for now, we are perfectly content to remain invisible for you. kind of funny. They've spent a lot of time in, in the first few episodes of the season really messing with our concepts of lines. 
pointing out how linear time affects much of the way that we view ourselves, not just in a sort of yesterday, today, and tomorrow sort of fashion, but in the way that we hold projections for our day and don't like getting pulled off of it, the way that we believe we have to continue to see a topic through in a very narrow way that's denying all the other paths that would lead us there more quickly, sort of all the other offshoots, that often as we see ourselves connecting with others, it is in a linear fashion and they've continued to bring up the image of a sphere over and over again in these prior weeks. But, you know, at the same time, they're still, they're still working with our definition of linear time. They're not rejecting it. They're just suggesting that there are other ways to look at this and in fact, ways that might even clarify or, or amplify our ability to understand our own linear perspective in new ways. The way the Chorus looks at things is always constructive. It's always building. There's not really judgments of of one being better than the other or one being more useful even than another in certain situations. They see the infinite in all situations. And so linear time could be just as good of a way to bring someone clarity as another version of time. There is no inherent betterness for them as they talk about in the first book where they describe that to them there is no hierarchy. The universe is simply full of an infinite variety of incredible things, each an equally beautiful expression of creation, including us, including them, including all the many different ways of looking at and creating an experience of time. As I started writing the second book with them and really in many of the conversations since, this was hard for me to bounce between because it seemed like I had to release or let go of my concept of linear time in order to take in a different concept. I had to let it be viewed differently, perhaps. And that wasn't always comfortable because as the chorus has talked about, we heavily identify with the things that have happened to us in our concept, our conscious concept of linear time. So sometimes you come up to a crossroads with them on the topic of time and you feel like you want to keep going in the direction of what they're explaining. But if you do so, there's this, there's this unsettled sensation for just a moment when you make that choice. There's this But then, wait a second, who am I? (laughs) Am I about to lose everything I thought I understood about myself, right? I think some of us have probably had a little bit of this experience as we've come across the concept of past lives. If you can, for those who are very familiar with the concept at this point, if you can remember back to when you first heard about it, or for those who are just coming across the concept, when you first come to it, there's a sort of, well, if I had other lifetimes here, then then who am I? If I was somebody else's daughter, if I was somebody else's partner, if I was somebody else's father, however you want to look at it, then then how do I reconcile that experience with this experience? And that, according to the Chorus, is a perfect reflection of our belief system's ability 
to diminish our sense of identity down to the actions, the things that have taken place on our five senses in a constructed version of linear time. It was part of our limitation. If you were able to identify yourself by way of more of the energetic being that you are, more of the pure expression of creation that you are, then what you did or said or picked up or moved or farmed or bought or built <laughs> might, might matter a little bit less. It might be simply a reflection of that larger being that you are, something that you love and cherish, that you adore, that you had those experiences, but they don't constitute your identity in and of themselves. They're a reflection of your identity. Now, because we've been out of touch with that larger definition of who we are and that larger identity, we don't have anything else really to go by, (laughs) as was part of the design of what we wanted to experience here. We wanted to be wholly limited into the focus on this five senses reality. And thus, we constructed a great deal of beliefs that we rely upon, essentially, to identify ourselves by way of this reality. There's a really powerful moment in book two, which, if you're listening in real time, should be coming out in the fall, I would imagine, where they basically say, think of everything you've done in your life. Think of, I don't know, the things you've written, the stuff you've created, the places you've visited, the people you've loved. You know, think of all of it. All the things on the five senses. Your whole life. Every memory that you can possibly reach from this moment in time. And then they said, okay, what if we took all of that away? Who would you be? And this is essentially that larger energetic identification that they're pointing to. But most humans today would say, well, I don't have that. (laughs) So it feels a little bit like a gap, right? If I say to you, just drop it, drop everything you've done in the five senses here, just leave it all behind you and move forward into your new identity. You would probably look at me and say, Katie, what identity? I don't, there's nothing else here. <laughs> like maybe I have a feeling inside of myself, but, but really if I don't have my life here, I'm not really sure how that would work. Now, it's interesting that we are all coming to these types of questions as a civilization. Though the chorus is one of the beings or you know, we're one of the representatives, I guess you could say, of this new concept and this new idea. It's been swirling around for, you know, a few thousand years in terms of different lifetimes that we've lived or other places that we've come from, etc. So there is amongst all of us, this growing sensation, this growing understanding that we may be much more than what we consciously remember being here. And though these things are starting to move closer and closer together, right? Our the life that we live here on the five senses, the identity that we have with that. And then there are the somewhere out there concepts of past lives or other planets or what have you. Today, those seem relatively separate, but there are many of us who are starting to draw connections. Like, oh, maybe I feel this way in my current life. Because I think that happened in a past life. And then 
there's a connection, right? Between your present moment identity and your past life supposition, I guess I'll say a hypothesis. Most people don't necessarily feel a conviction about past lives yet. There's sort of a vague inkling. They may have had some past life regressions. And so there's a sense of a story and there are poignant pieces of it that stand out that seem to be relevant to what you're living in the current moment in the present identity. So they're starting to connect. Now, similarly, there are others out there who have sort of started to discuss the idea of being from other star systems or, or having lived past lives, perhaps, in, in other places other than Earth. And again, these started out as very disparate concepts, but now what's starting to happen is people start to feel like they better understand the identities of those beings, perhaps, from these other planets and these other places. And as those concepts start to become clear, then the present moment identity of that person is more easily able to connect to perhaps what might have drawn them to the idea of that alien race or whoever it is, those beings. And they say, oh, I think that alien race is from this star system and it's a water world or it's something like this or this is an interesting part of their culture. And that's why, maybe that's why I feel a connection to them because I've always loved water or I always loved being near the ocean. So another connection, right? There's a disparate concept of things that are beyond our current ways of identifying ourselves that are now coming so close to the present moment that we have ideas of how that could make sense and tie into the present moment identity without disrupting it. And that really is becoming the key. That's the difference between that crossroads moment where you feel like you're being drawn forward by the chorus into a new understanding of time. But if you do, you might totally lose your identity of linear time, right? Versus this new experience that we're having where it feels more logical. It feels like, oh, I understand why I, meaning here in the five senses reality, always love the ocean. It's because this other identity that I feel drawn to or connected to that is from way different places or way different times than my current conscious perspective, but they're related. I share something with that other identity. This makes sense to me. I can still be me, Katie, on earth here in this time, but I could understand why I might also have this connection to these other places or times. Do you feel the difference? Do you feel the difference between, oh my God, I don't even know which way's up. If there's no linear time, if there is no yesterday and there's no tomorrow and I have no history here, what the hell am I? Versus the sensation, do you feel that sensation of, oh, I better understand who I am here and now by way of a new way of looking at where I have been. So that's essentially what the chorus is doing today but they did it in a slightly different way. They brought up, again, our history. 
Now, the topic this season is time. And of course, related to that is the human experience of time, which we would often describe as memory. One of our predominant experiences that we believe we are having of the experience of time is our ability to remember things. Moments that happened five minutes ago or moments that happened when we were kids our ability to connect to these different places on our linear timeline is one of the predominant ways we would describe perhaps that we experience our concept of linear time. And the chorus does not take issue with this. If anything, they spend a lot of time in the book, and I imagine in the many episodes to come, really applauding our ability to remember things really describing it as a way of expanding beyond these frequencies of limitation. It's awakening to them because the more you are able to remember about your life and about yourself, really the more perspectives about yourself you are accessing is one way you could look at it. I'm sure you've come across people in your life who don't really remember much or who claim not to. And they're their ability to view themselves seems a little bit partitioned. Have you ever experienced that? And, and maybe you've experienced it yourself. If you can recall periods of your life where you couldn't really remember much about yourself. Sometimes we have these experiences in uh, modern day psychology, we consider it a form of protection where perhaps we have a very traumatic experience and we block it out as we say, we are unable to recall the experience from a conscious perspective. Now, that is an interesting example of something that we actually do at the Metascale all the time. (laughs) Humanity as a whole, we as a group consensus have partitioned ourselves off from the memory, from the ability to connect to everything else in our existences. And one way you could look at that partition is by way of the definition of a current lifetime. So you say, I was born here at this time and then, you know, whatever, I'll die here at this time, I'll transition into the other frequencies and this is it. And it's not until recently that those barriers have started to become a little more permeable. And ideas of other lifetimes or places that we've lived in other ways are starting to come back through to us. So just like a person who goes through therapy maybe and starts to bring back these painful memories and to heal them and then through that process are able to see themselves more completely, more of everything they've lived and experienced and they understand why they are where they are today and how they got there, You see, there's a sort of process that you go through where you break down the partition and you begin to integrate these other parts of you. Now, mostly our conscious concept of this kind of experience is one that can be relatively painful. (laughs) I mean, we've firstly become aware of times in which we are blocking memories because we just don't want to remember them. They're painful. Now, similar to the experiences of shame that we talked about the week before last, this has a lot to do with time. So remember, according to the chorus, shame is sort of the lock. We locked ourselves, we locked these doors. 
And behind these doors are other ways of viewing ourselves, our information about us, our, our expressions of more of the infinitely unique beings that we each are. But because we feel so ashamed of these certain moments, even and particularly unconsciously, we won't go near them. And one of those unconscious ways that we won't go near them is by way of forgetting. Meaning we pull ourselves away from being able to come into contact with that moment in our version of linear time. Now we know from studying the brain that we do this. We know that we have selective memories. And depending on how you're feeling in a current moment, we know that particular memories will come back to you. Just last week, I had a brutal, (laughs) just brutal experience of being just doused in shame. Because I was moving through, in an accelerated way, experiences of linear time. And as such, my belief systems activated that typically would make me feel ashamed and would cause me to turn away from my own ability to see more fluidly my own identity. So I'm conscious of it as I'm going through it. And this is what it felt like. Every single thing I thought of that I do or did or wanted to do or was thinking about just everything felt like I was totally failing, that I should just be totally ashamed. So I walk into the kitchen and I look in the fridge and I think to myself, I don't even know what to eat. I should be eating this thing, but I'm not. And then all these memories come to me of all the other times that I went off the bandwagon or ate things I shouldn't or just kind of lined up all the crap I'd eaten in the prior four days. (laughs) As like, yeah, uh uh-huh, look at this. You suck at what you choose to eat. And, you know, I'm, I'm aware of it. I'm watching it happen. I'm standing at the fridge and I'm like, this sucks. Like I know somewhere out there I have eaten healthy things before. (laughs) I know it's happened, but I couldn't call to mind any moments in time of health, of healthy eating. Okay, so somehow I slog my way through lunch and then I sit down at the laptop and I say to myself, I don't even know where to start. I'm not sure I should do this today. I'm not sure I'm in the right place to write this down. Okay. And then as I'm sitting there, like, like little gifts <laughs> from my subconscious, it's like, oh, and here's another time you sucked. And here's another time you sucked. And you totally, totally dropped the ball this other time. And I'm remembering other times where I wrote something I was ashamed of, where I didn't turn in things on time. I'm getting flashbacks to prior jobs and stuff I haven't thought about in forever. (laughs) And it's like, here you are. Here you are. All these other examples from linear time of like, yeah, yeah, you're awful. So, you know, as this goes on, it's so intense and it's so nonstop. I mean, it was so intense that 
you know, I've been far enough along this path that I know better than to fight it. And this is going to sound weird, right? Because we come from a place of positive thinking and control your thoughts and, you know, really shape your reality and really work, really work at it. Well, I think that's true. And that that is a valid perspective, especially for certain points in awakening where you're just awakening to the idea that you could have conscious control. But I think also I knew I was in a place of moving through these beliefs, moving through what your mind does. And sometimes the best way to move through it is to let it do its thing and watch it. To to bring, as the Chorus would say, the light of your consciousness to it. And it's hard. I mean, I have years now of practice with the Chorus, thanks, thank goodness, as my cheering squad, <laughs> where, you know, there was a part of me that wanted to be like, I'm just going to go meditate. I'm going to get into a good place and then I'll try again. And sometimes I did because, I mean, sometimes you just have to. But there were other times that I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like this shame machine just does not quit. (laughs) And so you oscillate a little bit between both, between being like, okay, brain, I've had enough of you. I'm going to go for a walk and clear my head and, you know, let my spirits lift a little bit. And then there's this other part of me that, you know, would show up then alternately too, which was like, yeah, yeah, this is heavy. Like, wow, wow, powerful, nonstop, so fast. And similar to what the chorus was talking about in the first couple episodes of this season, it's accelerated when you reach this point. So even if I tried to sit down and journal about these times, these memories that I was having of shame, like shame at the fridge, then shame at my laptop, then shame driving to get my son, (laughs) then shame that evening as I was brushing my teeth. Even if I tried to sit down and journal them, they were happening so fast that it, it almost would have taken, I mean, as many days of journaling as it did days of me living through this because it's just so rapid fire. And so the conscious process of working through these things in which we do meditate on them or journal about them or go to therapy about them is still a valid process of awakening. But what you're also starting to experience is the energetic parts of you that are feeling these things and that are conscious of these things and that are moving through these things way faster then we could put it into written words or spoken conversation. And so there's really no point, I guess you could say, in me trying to slow it down to the speed of the mind and of the five senses because I used to do that in order to feel better, right? We, we journal or we meditate in order to like process those feelings and maybe to release them and to let them through. And by way of just letting them be and being present with them in a conscious way, you achieve the same end. I get to that same point of peace that I would after a really good journaling session, let's say. It's just a different method. And at first it feels weird because it feels like some part of you wants to still fight it, wants to still fight the negative emotions. And I see that part of me too. 
that's part of this experience of bringing to consciousness all of these beliefs is not only do I see all the parts of me that are like, you should be ashamed, you suck, (laughs) here you go, take this, take that. I also see the part of me that rises up equally that says, I shouldn't feel this way. I don't want to be ashamed anymore. I see both because they work hand in hand. The parts of us that have wanted to battle, that have wanted to expend our energy on defeating these negative aspects of ourselves are the same parts of us that have energized the experience of having a negative part of ourselves. They're partners. And so the times that I listened to the part of me that said, we got to stop this shame train. (laughs) And I went and I journaled about it and whatever. There was both in those moments of a re-energization of a belief that there are parts of me that I even need to process, that I even need to fight against, that I even need to retrain. And as happens in awakening, there was another part of me that was awakening to the, huh, journaling's not working the way it used to. Why doesn't this bring me as much solace the way it once did? What's changed? And really what's changed is you. You've expanded more and more and more through the idea of needing to battle these aspects of you. And so the urgency that we held to sort of, ooh, quick, move away from those things, go on a walk, do what you need to do, right? That urgency softens and diminishes. And in so doing, it's easier and easier to see the full glory of these limited beliefs (laughs) And to sort of just let them be limiting. So now I spent about four or five days totally doused in shame. I mean, I've gone through some intense periods before, but this was, this was incredible. And in that perspective, I could not access any memory of other times when it had been that hard or other times when it had felt hard like that and had still worked out. This is part of our limitation, the selective way that we are able to access other points in our linear timeline, most of which is driven by a reflection of the limiting beliefs that we are currently resonant with. So I was in those moments resonant with shame because I was moving through in a pretty accelerated fashion, new ideas of linear time, ideas that I would not become conscious of until later. So I feel energetically that I am being surrounded by walls of shame and they are closing in and energetically I know it's because I am tapping into something else, but I know I won't be able to see it until I move through the shame. So, I mean, it was hard. Like, you're in it, right? You feel ashamed. So if you walked up to me, if you saw me during these four or five days, first of all, I would have been embarrassed for you to see me. Like, that's how acute it was. I thought I was hideous, like hideous to look at. I don't know why. 
Like, who knows? Like, shame always feels rational, doesn't it? When you're in the middle of shame, shame feels like this makes perfect sense. It is a watertight case why I suck. (laughs) You know what I mean? So first of all, if you had seen me, I would have been embarrassed because I I would have felt like, I don't know, like I needed to go, I don't know, lose weight, have plastic surgery, like do my hair. I mean, there was this this intense compensation that had to happen that I couldn't just accept who I was. Okay. And then if you had been like, Katie, how are you today? I would have been like, I'm great. How are you? Like, again, totally just like so intensely shamed that I would not have been able to be authentic. And that's a big part of shame too. It's very hard for us to be authentic with each other because that's the way we designed it. (laughs) We wanted the experience of these sort of separations of self, of self and others, of of different parts of ourself. We built these partitions, not just between us and our memory, but between different parts of our consciousness, between us and other people. And so when shame is most active, conscious or unconscious, what happens is those partitions go up. And so I would not have been able to say to you the way that I sometimes am, like, today's fucking awful. (laughs) I mean, sometimes I can just say that, you know, and most of my friends would be like, oh, I get it. Where are you at? You know, I'll be like, I'm moving through this. And they'll be like, yep, I was there. I moved through that last week. You know, there's, there's this authenticity that's spreading among us as we all realize that we're going through stuff. And you know, I think it's blessedly really accelerating in this recent time period because we kind of have to start to be honest with each other about what's really going on when we're all grappling with so freaking much that you just got to be like, look, I got to level with you. (laughs) We were sick all week or I got this going on at work. Like I just, I can't keep up the facade. I can't do it anymore. It's not all perfect. It's not all easy. and, And I actually probably need help with a lot of this. That is actually an ability to release shame. That ability to be authentic comes from a conscious place of saying, I'm not going to feel bad about the fact that I can't keep all these plates in the air anymore. All these beliefs that I used to hold or that I have held or that even were unconsciously embodying themselves in me about my need to be the perfect parent or the perfect coworker, the perfect VP or whatever it is. Those things are all diminishing. That urgency to do away with all of these parts of me and to go, you know, sweep them to the side so I can maintain this illusion of perfect is all softening. And that's because those partitions are coming down. So it's easier to be authentic when you have been able to move through, consciously or not, releasing the beliefs of shame. Now, if you saw me today, so today I'm through that accelerated period. (laughs) And if you came up to me today and said, Katie, how are you doing? I I could say what I'm saying right now. Like today I'm doing good. 
I am still riding the waves of awakening and woo man, did I take a mega wave of shame last week. <laughs> and we could talk about it. I could be authentic about it because I don't, I don't currently feel ashamed of myself. And I, and I certainly don't feel ashamed of myself for going through those beliefs about shame. It's, it's easier to be me right now. So the chorus today brought up a very interesting aspect, I think, of, of what's happening as part of awakening and sort of releasing the shame, dropping the partitions, and coming to these more expanded ideas of identity that we can start to identify ourselves in, in ways that reach beyond this five senses reality that won't feel like a loss of identity. It will feel like an expanded clarity of who we are, that these points of connection will start to help us understand ourselves even more. And they said, well, you have a concept that already represents this, which is electricity. Now, this might seem really weird, at first blush, because what the heck does electricity have to do with identity? <laughs> or certainly with history, other than the fact that like we discovered electricity like somewhere in our history, right? And really what they're pointing to is that in order for us to have quote unquote discovered electricity and come to this concept, we first as a consensus had to come to the idea that there are invisible forces in the universe that are just beyond our grasp, that are affecting us. Now we're starting to see evidence of it in more and more places. Now we think we can actually observe it consistently in a steady state. And now we can move it through wires and control it. And here you might say like, oh, if they're talking about linear time and electricity, maybe we didn't actually discover electricity on our linear timeline. And, <laughs> you know, right? We think it's the linear timeline that has to go out the window. It's not. According to the chorus, our understanding of our, our sense of time is a perfect creation. It's beautiful. What they're pointing to are the things we are connecting to on linear time. The linear and the time are not the issue. They have limiting aspects, sure, just like anything in creation could be limiting, but they also have expansive aspects. They're neutral. All elements of creation could be considered to be neutral. It's what it's reflecting about us and what we're starting to understand more about ourselves and our identities. So isn't it interesting that we plopped onto our linear timeline this whole experience of the discovery of electricity that now is fundamental to the entire way that our civilization works today. It started as an invisible force. And that invisible force, you could say, ultimately came down into our reality or equally valid. You could say that we expanded to a point of being able to see to work with, to interact with something that was once invisible to us. And here's where they said the most incredible thing, that there are more invisible forces, may not be a surprise, 
But then they said, and there are more invisible places that pertain to our history. Now, for any of you who are history buffs out there and perhaps fans of the ideas of ancient, 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 ancient history, perhaps even history is so ancient, we're not even sure where to put them yet on our linear timeline. You will find this statement by the chorus very fascinating because what they are suggesting is that there are places from our history that are existent right now in this day and age that are invisible to our current perspective, but that as we continue to expand into these broader identities of ourselves, that those once invisible places will be seen. And that we are so close to the discovery of these things that we even have clear examples that we share as a group consensus of other times in our history when we also took something that was once invisible and made it real on our wavelengths. There is a connection between the frequencies that you are on in the present moment and what you are remembering whether it's standing at the fridge feeling ashamed and remembering all the other times you ate poorly and should be ashamed of, (laughs) or remembering that your civilization has good experience and a successful track record of identifying things that were previously beyond sensory perception. And today, we have electricity, We have gravitational waves. We have words and concepts for invisible feelings that pass between people. We have experiences of seeing viruses and bacteria that were once invisible to us. We have so many examples currently in our present day and age of seeing beyond what our senses might have otherwise kept us from seeing. This is where I'd like to say something important. Important to me, perhaps, because I am so passionate about this aspect of ourselves. So excited for all the things from our history that we're about to remember and to uncover and to benefit from. Yes, we have history here on these senses and on these wavelengths. And yes, you can dig down into the dirt and see them still. But there are also great epics of our history where we were just slightly beyond these frequencies. And those other wavelengths exist still. Those ancient halls of empires that we are remembering must have existed that prior golden civilization that we're sure must have been possible in some way. 
those elusive answers about these prior times that feel so invisible to us? Well, I don't know. To me, it just feels like the next invisible thing that's ready to be seen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you found these messages to be helpful. May they accelerate you on your path wherever you'd like it to go. For more information on The Chorus and I, our podcast, book, or how to get in touch with us, visit katieinthechorus.com. Thanks again. See you next time.